I want to start out. Uh, Psalms 84.11 says, Yahweh will give his people grace and glory. He'll give his people grace and glory. There's something about grace and glory that kind of like, if you got grace and glory, you're kind of set for life. You're set for what you need. One definition of grace says it like this. What is in view in the process whereby one who has something, one who has something, turns in grace to another who has nothing. Nor is it just an impersonal transfer of things. It is a heartfelt movement of the one who acts to the one who is acted upon. In other words, grace is not an intangible uh, um, feelingless, oh, here, you need this, or here, I have so much, uh, you, you need this. No, grace is a heartfelt movement of God towards the one who is not deserving of it, towards the one who did not earn it, towards the one who couldn't earn it, who has no ability to earn it. And God, uh, just because of who he is, because he is love, looked upon us and looks upon you, and looks upon me, and says, you know what? I have chosen you to pour my grace upon. Not because you made me feel good about myself. Not because you showed great potential. Not because of anything that you did right or anything that you did that was wrong. But solely because he is the God of love, and he is the God of mercy, and he is the God of grace. The Holy Ghost is actually called the Spirit of grace. So the anointing, you could say, is the grace of God. When the anointing comes on you, the grace of God actually is coming upon you. The grace of God shows up in our lives by faith. I quoted Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord God will give grace and glory. He'll give grace and glory. When grace was poured upon the Israelites, you know, grace was poured upon the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt, and that grace gave them this um, attractiveness or this magnetism to the Egyptians whom they were fleeing. So that they loaded them up with all of their goods and all of their stuff. That's because the word of God tells us the grace of God was upon them. The grace of God came upon the Israelites as they fled. And then the grace of God, the favor of God. When the favor of God comes on you or the grace of God comes on you or comes on an individual, that grace or that favor comes upon you in such fullness that you actually gain an attractiveness. And it's as if it's not passing from God through you to another, but now you actually possess it. So that you, in the earth, become this attractive force to the world of God and the things of God. Oh, how does that come? Because the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of you. And he is the spirit of grace. And when he comes, everything that he has, he brings with him. I love uh, Pastor Mark talks about, you know, uh, making room for the Holy Ghost or making room for the supernatural. And uh, he has an illustration that he tells, you know, that uh, when the Holy Ghost moves in, he's got to bring some stuff. And in order to fit all of his stuff, 
It's not like he's just bringing a few moving trucks. I mean, you look and there's like a freight train for miles and miles and miles of all this stuff that he has to bring. But he comes and there's one problem. And that one problem is your stuff is in the way. And so in order for the Holy Ghost stuff to take occupy space in your heart, your stuff has to get out of the way. And I love that illustration because pistis, which is the Greek word for faith, and in the New Testament was written in Greek originally, pistis, the definition of pistis says that it is a turning away. Faith, trusting God, is actually a release and a turning away from self-confidence and from your own ability and from the world's ability and the world's supply to Jesus, that we actually turn and release everything and turn to Jesus. And then it also says that pistis, faith, Hebrews 11 one says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, you might say, well, how, how does he know that? Or what does he know? Well, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so I have this hope, this hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, the, the hope of rising up, the hope of the manifestations of God, the hope of the blessings of God. But faith is based on hope, right? Faith is the substance of what you hope for. So first you have to have hope. So don't ever throw out hope. You have to have hope. But then faith is the substance of those things that you have hope for. So hope says, oh, that would be wonderful. That would be marvelous. If I could just get to there, if I could somehow, uh, you know, it's like this utopia or this, well, everything's going to be wonderful one day. That's hope. Faith is now. Today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith. Not tomorrow faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's no substance to tomorrow faith. That's called hope. Hope's not bad. Hope is good. Don't cast away your hope. But faith is now. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Have you ever, have you ever just known something? The Lord told you something, or you saw it in the Word, and somebody said, can you explain it? And you say, no, no, I, I can't really explain it. I just know. That is substance. In other words, why are you acting like that? Because I know on the inside. In other words, your faith has given substance to that. And, and then if you, if you just don't turn away, if you stay firm in faith, through faith and patience you inherit the promises, all of a sudden you'll begin to see other manifestations. Like you know on the inside there is substance to this. And somebody looking from the outside, they might not know their substance, but they'll know. They'll know like, well, they really believe what they're saying. I, and they might say, Ethel, I, th I, think, I think he really believes that. I can't believe it. I can't even believe it, but he, he believes that. Uh, so faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith. Faith is current. Faith is now. Faith is at the moment. And so in, in the definition of faith, pistis, you find that faith, by its very definition, in this big old 10-volume dictionary I have, TDNT, Theological Dictionary of New Testament, its very definition means it has to be current. It has to be now. It's not something that you did believe or something that you're going to believe. It's something that you believe right now in this present situation that applies to you. So it's not like my faith. It's your faith in God. 
There are times when it's, you know, if I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to act in faith. But you look, if you want to be guaranteed that you will receive from God, then you act by faith in God. Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God or lay hold on God's faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, you know, for whosoever will say to this mountain, right? And, and, and he, he goes on and speaks. But the first prerequisite that he says is he says, have faith in God or lay hold on the faith of God. Amen. In other words, you're not going to do this on your own. You grab hold of the faith of God. How do you grab hold of the faith of God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, or faith comes by hearing and hearing, or faith comes by currently hearing the word. So faith does not come by the word you have heard. Faith comes by hearing the word. You know, um, we traveled with Brother Hagin, and he would, uh, when, when he'd have something that wasn't real pressing in his own family, I remember one time he talked about his daughter had a growth on her eye, and uh, when she had, he, she, he got a letter that she had a growth on her eye. So he didn't just pray. He was preaching faith. He was preaching healing. He was ministering faith, ministering healing in his services. His daughter was at home, and he was out traveling. But he didn't just say, I command that you know, growth to get off of her eye in the name of Jesus. You know what he did? He went back over. He had all of the healing scriptures highlighted in his Bible, and he turned. Most of them he could memorize because he had a photographic memory. But he physically turned to every healing scripture, read every healing scripture over the course of two or three nights after he was done in the services before he went to bed. And then he said, and then by the, the, and he wrote the letter, and then uh, they got the letter on Friday, and within three days after they got the letter, the thing had fallen off her face. I just say that to say, like, uh, you know, uh, you may be a mighty man or woman of faith and power, but all of us have to rely upon the words of God to feed our spirits. You feed your body like three meals a day, most people do. Feed your spirit at least three times a day. Feed on the word. Don't just read the word, but you feed on the word. The word is life and health and strength. And when you read the word with the Holy Ghost... He takes the things of Christ, Jesus said, and he makes them real to us. And so the Holy Ghost uh, has an effective part to play in what we're doing. So faith, or excuse me, grace is favor that God puts upon us that causes an attractiveness in us. It causes us to attract the blessings of God. It causes us to be able to receive the blessings of God. But the way that we, we receive grace is by faith. In other words, we believe it. You hear what grace actually is. And the gospel is even a gospel of grace, the word of God tells us. That the good news, the power of the gospel, I love how um, as Andrew Romack says, uh, gospel, he translates gospel, I think, as too good to be true, uh, news that's too good to be true, or something like that. Is that how he says it? It's the too good to be true news. In other words, it's not just good news. But this is like unbelievable news. Could you actually believe this, that there was a man that came and lived, and that man was actually God in the flesh, and through his life, and through the way he lived his life, and what happened to him on the cross and in hell, he took on every failure, every mistake, every weakness, every inability, every lack of fellowship with God, lack of closeness with God. He took all that on himself, became separated from God himself, took all of our sickness 
sicknesses, all of our disease, all of our lack, all of our poverty, all of the curse that had come upon man because he wasn't good enough in his own flesh to fulfill the law of God, but Jesus himself fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets and it, he was prophesied about. And if you just take some of the prophecies, if you just take like 10 of the prophecies, it's impossible statistically that any one man could actually fulfill those prophecies. Yet there were over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And that one man came and he took all of that upon himself. Himself took all of this so that we wouldn't have to. You, you, you can even see the heart of God, even in a natural sort of way, with the heart of a parent. If you ever had kids and you ever had them an illness come against them or something, you know, in your flesh, especially if you don't know the word, you're kind of like, well, I would like to take that on so they don't have to take that, right? Because you love them so much. That's exactly what God did in the person of Jesus Christ as he looked down and he said, I love them so much, not because of who they are, but because of who I am. I love, and he wanted that closeness and that fellowship, and Jesus made a way for that closeness and that fellowship to be restored that was lost by Adam in the garden. See, God's plan was always that he would walk with man and talk with man and be close with man and we'd be close with him, but Sin messed it up. Sin caused a separation. Sin cannot enter the presence of God, and sin cannot live or dwell in the presence of God. So God ordained before the world was formed, before the creation of man, it says, Christ was ordained a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So it's not like God was surprised that man messed up. But God being so full of grace and so full of mercy and so full of love created a being called mankind that would have the real ability to not be a robot but to actually choose freely God and to choose freely to live for him and to live by him that he is the source of man's life, that he is, he is the reason that we have vigor and vitality and hope and joy and strength. See, he never planned, he never wanted man to stray away, but he wanted man to have um, total free will so that our love for him was a choice because love can be nothing else that you choose to love him, that you're not forced to love him, that you're not forced to be part of his family, but it breaks his heart when you're not. It's, the Bible says that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And because of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus that was given up and that was sacrificed, we can enter into the family of God. He gives us that access. Uh, the way that you actually access grace is through righteousness. 
And so that's why a lot of people try to access the things of God by what they, how well they can live and how much they can work and how much they can do. But righteousness is not imputed that way. Righteousness does not come that way. How do you get to be righteous? You don't get to be righteous based on what you do. Uh, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21, for he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not, my name is Tim, so not the righteousness of Tim. Not the righteousness of whatever your name is, but the righteousness of God. Kenyon uh, summarized righteousness as the ability to stand in the presence of God without a sense of guilt, fear, or inferiority. In other words, you belong here. You were made for this. And so righteousness comes by your birth when you're born, but not when you're born of flesh, when you're born of God. Like Jesus said, Nicodemus said, how, you know, how, how, can you, how can you get into heaven? He said, Jesus said, you must be born again, or the margin of my Bible actually says, born from above. And so you have earthly parents, but you can have a heavenly father. And the heavenly father, God himself, has made a way that you can come and be his child. And that is through his own son and the blood of, and life of his own son that's poured out, that is Jesus. And so the second that you are born again, if you go back up to verse 17 of the same chapter, therefore, if any man be in Christ, uh, Amplified says, be engrafted into Christ. I love that picture because if you engraft a branch into a vine, which of course Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, if you abide in him, he that lives in me or from me, right? And so we are engrafted into Christ, engrafted into the vine. What happens when you engraft a branch into the vine? What is in the vine begins to flow into the branch, and then it begins to sustain the branch. I said last week, uh, I had cut down some trees and I just left them laying because I was in a hurry. And um, I still haven't picked them up. They're kind of on the side of my yard. So I cut down these trees and the second that those were cut off, life ceased to flow in those branches. And now I didn't take a picture, but if I'd have taken a picture, you'd see all of these leaves that were vibrant and green. And some of them had like, there were actually vines growing on these trees. And um, those vines were lush, and they were actually choking the tree. And all those leaves on all of those vines are brown and brittle and dead. But when you're engrafted into Christ, uh, in the New Testament, there's about 130, 134, depending on how you count them, uh, phrases in Christ, in him, in whom. And those all mean engrafted into or joined to. If any man be joined to Christ. One of them was what we read, uh, verse 21. 
For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God engrafted into him or joined to him. Well, if you're the righteousness of God, then how come you don't act like the righteousness of God? Well, because you don't know it here. Well, I should say, that's not, that's not true what I just said. Because you don't know it here. Because a lot of people know it here. They say, they quote, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And they have a mental, uh, can you call it, mental assent or mentally agreeing. Or they reason it out. Okay, well, if, if Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this and then this is what he said, so then, okay, that must be true because of what he said. Like, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 119, 128. I esteem your precepts above all else to be true and I hate every false way. So that's, that's, you know, the Lord dealt with me on that scripture because there's a lot of things you don't understand in the word. But I said, you know what? I esteem this is true. But I might not know it in my spirit. In other words, faith comes, or one translation says, is awakened by hearing the word of God. The word for hearing there is rhema. And rhema is when the word of God becomes so real to you, it's almost as if God spoke it to you. And sometimes it can be that, uh, that vivid, that all of a sudden you're like, whoa, and it just becomes so real. And you're, you're like, well, I just believe that. You know, I, I, I use the illustration a lot of times you try to explain the quote unquote revelation. And sometimes I think we call it revelation. We scare people. Revelation is really just something that has been about the Holy Spirit revealing and showing and unfolding. He is the teacher. Jesus said, you don't even have need for any man to teach you because the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Or Jesus didn't say it. Paul said it over in Timothy. So the um, Holy Spirit will teach you. But why, then why do we have teachers? Like, why am I teaching right now? Well, because he gave, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men till we come, all come into the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the fullness of the Son of God. Well, we're not there yet, so that's why we need you know, um, the fivefold ministry. And besides that, have you seen the condition of the world? Well, the Bible says that we should assemble together all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul said that the body of Christ is like a physical body. And can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you, or the foot, you know, to the elbow, I don't need you. But there is a salve that every um, part of the body supplies when it comes together in unity. And so when we come together, there is a supply of the Spirit of God that, that your needs that you have are actually met when each person in the body fulfills their calling and their role. And then the Holy Ghost can flow. When you come together, uh, every one of you has a psalm, a doctrine, a revelation, an interpretation. Let everything be done what? To build up or to edify. In other words, nobody's coming really to be a superstar, hopefully. And of course, some people do come that way, and then that's why there's many times not unity. Philippians talks about that. So, so you, you, you come together. Uh, church really is the Greek word ecclesia, and it is a meeting that God has called you to come to. 
And so, uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's not just because, well, it's nice to have fellowship, although it is good to go into your own company. So people believe like you do, and if, you know, when you're weak, they that are strong can bear with the infirmities of the weak, you know, and, 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 and you need that. But there's a whole lot more going on than a bunch of people coming together just to come together. There is an anointing. Even Jesus said that he is in the midst of us when we come together in his name. So, so, so there is something happening every time you come together, every time you gather together in the name of the Lord. You know, uh, Brother Hagin ministered to this uh, man. He was actually uh, at this guy's house, went into his room. The guy is like bedridden, and um, uh, Brother Hagin went to minister to him. And when he did, Jesus actually appeared in the room. Brother Hagin could see him. And um, so Brother Higgins wanted to emphasize to this man, you know, like, uh, well, apparently there's a... You know, the Holy Ghost doesn't manifest for no reason when he manifests. There's always a reason. It's not like uh, haphazard. And, and so if you're thinking natural things and natural ways, you may think, well, I, that's haphazard. That's because you're thinking like a man. The Holy Ghost is not a man. The Holy Ghost is a spirit. And God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, worship means actually to draw near as to kiss, to come, to receive, and to give, to give and to receive. And so if, you, if, you, if you're coming to worship, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, the Lord's not going to do anything outside of the word, but it's going to be the word illuminated or lit up or brought to life by the spirit of God. So Brother Higgins in this room, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears and he said to the man, he said, Jesus is here to heal you. And the man said, I know it. Why? Because like we say Jesus is here because we gather together and it becomes more of a religious thought than a tangible reality. But if you actually believe the word that God is watching his word to perform it, then Jesus is here in our midst. Somebody said, well, when I speak, I want to make sure I do a good job for the pastor or this person or whatever. How about for the Lord of lords and the king of kings, the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls? Thank God. Can you imagine being here and the spirit of God and Christ were not here? Like, what would be the point? He'd just be like, go through the motion. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this because we're supposed to. No. Uh, the Christian life is not a ritual. The Christian life is not a club. The Christian life is not a formality. The Christian life and the gospel message is not a self-help message. It is not a feel-good message. It is the wisdom of God and the power of God and the life of God in every situation at every moment. And that when the gospel is preached, when the anointing comes, that it will remove burdens and destroy yokes. It will remove bondages that the chains fall off. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Speaking of the anointing, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, this verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Listen to this. To set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Glory to God. And so Melody, my wife, was... uh, over in India, she went on a mission trip right after she graduated from high school. I don't know. She went over there for, I don't know, two months, I think, or something. She went over there for, for a decent length of time. And when she was there, she, she was reading the word, and she came upon this verse. And she saw that, and she said, like she had never seen it before. She said, I saw that, and I was like, that's me. She saw herself in the word. And as soon as you begin to see yourself in the word, all of a sudden, the life of God, the power of God, the blessings of God, the promises of God come alive. You know, T.L. and Daisy Osborne, actually, they went to India. That's funny. I never connected that, those two things. But they went to India uh, as their, you know, uh, when they first were missionaries, and they failed miserably because they didn't get hardly anybody into the kingdom of God. Because they, they, they went over there and, you know, they had their Bible and, and they would tell the people, like, this is, this is the holy word of God. This is a holy book. And these words are from God himself. Well, then they had, uh, you know, the, the book that the Hindus use and also Islam was over there at that time as well. Uh, then they had uh, the Quran. And the people there, they said, well, this is the holy Quran. These are the words from God himself. Well, and so they're like basically saying, okay, yeah. But that's a false religion. This is the truth. And so they found themselves in this position where they're like, it's their saying their God against our God. And so they came back after nine months kind of defeated and like, well, we're just flat failures. You know, like we, we couldn't even <laughs> get people born again. And um, uh, through the course of uh, uh, a couple months, the Lord just kind of took them through and they saw Jesus in four different visions. One of them was actually a vision of Jesus that T.L. had, but the rest was they saw Jesus ministering in a person because they saw someone speak the word and they saw the same miracles that are recorded in Acts happening. And they said, well, if they can do that, the Holy Ghost actually said in the service, if they can do that, you can do that. Same thing that the Holy Ghost said to my wife in India. So they said, well, we're going to go back and we're going to reread the New Testament like we have never read it before. So they did and they saw, they saw themselves in the New Testament. They saw Jesus in the word and they saw themselves in him. And then they went out, you know, and, and they had all these experiences. Then they went out and they said, okay, and this is in Oregon. They're like, well, we're doing it like this never happened before. So we're going to have a healing meeting. Anybody needs healing, come on. So they, they advertised, did all this stuff. And of course, the devil said, uh, you're going to fail. What are you doing? You know what? And he said, the Lord doesn't always do this. He said like the first eight or nine people that came up, some were completely deaf, completely blind. All of them were instantly healed and instantly set free. And so why? Well, they saw that the power of God, or the gospel of God rather, is the power of God unto salvation. And that the only appropriate way to minister the gospel is through speaking and preaching. And the gospel has the same power when you speak it that the actual original event had in it. In other words, when you talk about the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God that raised him from the dead is manifest at that moment, and anyone that grabs hold of it will be set free. 
The chains will break off. The bondage will go. The, the confusion will cease. God is not the author of confusion. You know, Paul said, uh, let all things be done decently and in order. But like I said, um, so if the Holy Ghost is doing it, it's going to be decently in order. But you might not judge it that way. Mark Hankins' dad said, um, you need some services where you have to explain it to the visitors, what's going on. What does that mean? Well, that means if you come in to an assembly of believers that are actually an assembly of believers, and they're, they're, they are there, they've come together to meet with God, that there may be some things that happen in the service that the natural mind can't comprehend or doesn't understand or thinks, what's the value in that? But the Holy Ghost knows what he's doing. He can, with one word from God that he reveals and puts light on in front of you, he can remove 40 years of therapy. Or 40 years of therapy that you had that somebody said was necessary. You know what? The 40 years of therapy is probably necessary if you're going to go about natural ways to overcome the difficulty that you had. But then that therapy, normally you have to continually take drugs, you have to continue to go to therapy, and you'll never be any better than that, but you can kind of subdue it a little bit. That is not the way the Holy Ghost works. He goes to the core of your being, and he does whatever operation is necessary, and he sets you free, sets you free that it doesn't matter what has happened in your past, doesn't matter how somebody hurt you or why they hurt you or what they did, that you actually can freely forgive and freely give it up, and then you can live the life of God and the life of Christ through your being. So they that believe do enter into rest. This is the rest of God. And it's called, it is a grace of God to enter into rest. And so uh, he that believes has ceased from his own labors just the same way over Hebrews chapter 4, that God ceased from his. And, he, and the word of God tells us, let us labor to enter into that rest. Do you know what this rest is? This rest is yielding to the Spirit of God, yielding to the Holy Ghost. In other words, you set aside, could, I'll preach to myself, all of what you could figure out, all of what you could analyze, all of what you could reason out, well, that doesn't make sense, and this makes sense, and that makes sense. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to the natural mind. What matters is, is it the Word of God, and does the Holy Ghost in your spirit bear witness with that Word? The Spirit himself he will bear witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So he will say, yes, you are my child. You have a witness on the inside. And when he does that, he will lead you and he will guide you. I mean, the same witness that I had on the inside to receive the Lord, and then I received the Lord, received the Holy Ghost, received the Spirit of God, or excuse me, was recreated by the Spirit of God, had the Spirit of God living on the inside. That is the same Spirit that led me into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I was in a, a Southern Baptist church, and I, I didn't understand a lot of things, but I had a hunger on the inside. I had a hunger for the things of God and hunger to go further. And I remember I would be praying. And when I was praying, I would kind of get to the end of English. And I'm kind of like, oh, there's like 
more. There's more there, but, but I don't know how to express that. I don't know what to do. Man, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden I got unction and utterance from him, and I was able to speak by the Spirit of God, literally, like words that did, I did not come up with. And because I, I, you know, my natural mind can be kind of analytical, I would speak in other tongues. And then I would stop and I would hear those words. Then my mind would process the sounds I heard. And when that happened, I would be like, did I make that up? What was that? So then I'd do it again. Like I, I you know, Bible says test all things, prove, prove, see if they're true. So I was testing. And so I come to the conclusion after about two weeks of that, no, I'm really not, come, I'm really not making this up. Like this is not coming from me. And so, of course, since then you find like, man, there's such blessing in it and, and um, such freedom in it. But so I was there and, and my, my best friend's mother, uh, we were in a condo, all of him and his family and myself, we were there. I was single, single at that time. And she said, would you like to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? And, you know, the natural mind like reasoning came up and I said, well, I don't know. I was, I was very, I'm always very honest. Sometimes it's painfully honest, but anyhow. So um, I've learned you got to have honesty and be slow to speak. And, co- and so, because um, you always need to be honest, but you don't need to always say everything. And so I, uh, I was there, and I just blurted out before I could even realize what I was saying. I said, I, I don't know. I said, I feel like I'm just in church, and I need to go to the altar. Well, that's another way to say and I realized that after I said it out of my mouth, I said, okay, I, I, yes. Once I heard myself say that, why? Well, because the same spirit that I was acquainted with in wooing people to Christ at the time, like at the altar call, was the same unction witness I had on the inside, yes, go do this. So now I said, oh, okay. I didn't have to have anything else. Why? I know him. And I have an unction from the Holy One. And so because of that, all of a sudden, I, I was open. And, and, and this lady laid hands on me, and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. You know, my personality is not like really wild in itself, so I kind of began to whisper in other tongues. But set me free. And so what happened? Well, depending on your personality, and we all have one, a personality, but... If you give up yourself, you give up your life and let Christ live through your life, you will find that God can work through your personality that is yielded over to him. Instead of your personality pushing you down and you're like, oh, I keep, oh I don't, why do I do that? I don't like that I do that. And then you get down on yourself and you start thinking, well, I'm a bad person. No, 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 no. Well, you have nothing to offer apart from who you are in Christ, okay? Don't, don't get confused. But as soon as you yield yourself up to him, that you are a yielded vessel, that he can not only recreate you on the inside, but he can come to live from you, that you become his headquarters, where he operates from, and you stay full of the Holy Ghost, you know, there's a baptism of the Holy Ghost, which I just described, but then there is, Paul said in Ephesians, be being filled. It's a current, constant state of receiving and speaking forth. And so you stay full. If you stay full of the Holy Ghost, that is when you enter into rest. That is when it's not a labor. 
Canaan's land, the Israelites were looking over to Canaan's land. You know, oh, Canaan's land, where my possessions lie, who will come and go with me, who will come and go with me, you know the song? And so they looked over to Canaan's land, but what? There were giants in the land. So you know it's not heaven because there's no giants in heaven. There's no enemies in heaven. But Canaan's line is a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the fullness of the Holy Ghost. And so they did not enter in, the word of God tells us, because of unbelief or unpersuadableness. And then I love over in Isaiah um, 28, 11, uh, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, yet they would not hear. Um, this is the rest and this is the refreshing. Key part is, well, for this, they would not hear. In other words, they were told this is the answer. This is how you do it. It's almost like Jesus said, all right, I'm going to leave everybody, but it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send someone, the Holy Spirit. But before you go out, go to the city of Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power from on high. There was a, a professor at Baylor University years ago that, uh, you know, they don't, they don't see the truth the way we do as far as being baptized in the Holy Ghost, but he was there, and so, uh, but he, he knew it, and he said to the graduates who are going to be uh, ministers, he said, there is an experience after salvation where you receive the power of God, and don't you dare go out without it. That's all he could really say without being kicked out. But... There is, and it is called the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you lose yourself there. I was, at the, I was here at the pulpit a, a few weeks ago, and I don't remember it was right before I was doing the offering or the main message, just rose up in my spirit, your life is over. And that was not a depressing statement to me. You know, my life is hid with Christ in God. As soon as you cease living, you cease from your labor like Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about. Then God himself can live in you and through you. Well, you say, I'm born again, so God lives in me. Well, if you're born again, the Spirit of God is inside of you. But he may not be able to live because you got too much of your stuff in the way. You have to... Let him live. You have to let the Spirit of God live. Let the Spirit of God show up. Let him have the say. From the big things to the little things. That you're, that you're not so tied to what you know that you don't allow the Lord to speak to you or to speak through you. You know, pastoring, I love pastoring. It is like um, the blessing of the Lord. I would never do it if I was not called to do it and anointed to do it. I will tell you that. But in pastoring, you see people where they live, at their house, in sometimes their worst times. And um, if I could just get people to listen sometimes... To say like, if you just can give up you and accept Jesus. I don't mean be born again, although if you're not born again, yes. But I mean like, if you can set aside all of that other stuff and just rely on him only. 
You're, you would have a life of, of freedom. But sometimes because of bad experiences and difficulties, we're afraid to let go of that thing. And when we don't let go of that thing, God can only do so much. He'll bless us as much as we'll allow him. But he's not like a devil or a demon. He doesn't force you. But if you freely say, okay, Lord, this is really scary for me because I've always been the one that's been controlling this. But if we say, okay, Lord, but I'm turning it over to you. I'm freely turning it over. I'm going to trust you. A lot of times people have done that to accept Christ. And then they go to try to live life in their own ability. Like the Galatians, that's what Paul said to the Galatians. Like, you begun in Christ. You begun trusting. You begun believing in, in the grace of God on your behalf. But how are you so soon removed from that? Because you took one act from your heart that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, and you were recreated on the inside. But then after that one act, you went out to live your life and your own ability. One of the best things in the world is when you come to the end of yourself and you find Jesus there. And you say, oh, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never received him, it's not automatic. You're not auto, you don't grow up in a Christian family and then therefore you're automatically a Christian. It's not, a, it's not um, something that travels apart just because you're a part of a group. You can be a member of a church. You can be a member of a family. You can be in any position and still not be in the family of God. Jesus paid the price for every single one of us to come to the Father through him and by his blood. But the word of God tells us, as many as received him, those are the ones he gave the right to be called the children of God, the sons of God, the daughters of God. If you're here this morning and you have never received him and you'd like to, Slip up your hand. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. God is not against you. He is for you. He's not trying to prevent you. He's actually done everything that's possible to get you near to him. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and you'd like to, uh, slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I like how Joyce Meyer says, she said, you know, I went years and years before I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and it's much better. Uh, my Christian experience is much better. You know, she's, she says it very simply, and um, it is wonderful to be full of the Spirit of God. And lastly, if you're here this morning and you were a believer, uh, but you let the things concerns of life and cares and distractions and strong desire for other things come in and drown out your relationship with the Lord and pull you away and pull you apart and you'd like to publicly come back to the Lord if that's you I want to pray with you and for you just slip up your hand Heavenly Father we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that his blood has given us 
life, true life, that his blood has brought us in to your presence, Father, that his blood has made a way, that his blood has opened up your family, your kingdom, your person, and your presence. Father, we thank you for the blood. Thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for the spirit, your spirit, whom you have sent us who lives inside of us and leads us and guides us. Father, I thank you that you sent your word. I pray, Father, that you'll give each and every one of us from the word, from your word that we have heard today, Father, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding being flooded with light by your spirit. Father, that we may live up on top and not underneath. Father, that we may live with the knowledge of who we are in Christ and who you've made us to be and who you are. I pray, Father, that you'll fill each and every person under the sound of my voice that's born again afresh with your spirit, filled with glory, filled with power, filled with might. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.